0: Two, one, two, three, four. Hey y'all, this is Seba, the Southern Fried Witch. And this is episode 14. Already, what the hell is happening, y'all? When I first did this, I said that I wasn't going to keep on going if I wasn't having any fun. I have to be honest with y'all, a couple of weeks ago, I got in a bit of a creative slump and it was kind of difficult for me to figure out what I wanted to talk about. I need to give myself a break in those instances and just maybe throw out 30 minutes for you. Or maybe skip it all together. But it helps when I get email and I've gotten a couple and that's what I wanted to discuss today as much as possible. And I'm gonna let those chickens do what they do in the background while I read this to you. Let's see. Alright, here we go. My beloved Seppa, after I finished my Sunday ritual of listening to the podcast this morning, I got on Facebook like I do and started scrolling through friends' photos of a birthday party I was at for a friend's child this weekend. I reveled in every little bit, because I've been a second mother to this child since she was born, taking care of her when her parents deployed, and generally just being another guardian when the need arose, and even when it didn't. I loved that little pumpkin, and after a while I started to notice that there were photos of everyone who'd been at that party. This person and that person. There was at least one snapshot of every single one of them, except me. You would have never known I was ever there. And I started thinking about all the people who live in the background of our lives. The ones who cook and clean and rear and love and are never in the picture. Wallflowers. They walk softly and speak softly and are always there when you need them but often go unnoticed until the need arises. If you give them too much attention, they shrink away because attention is outside of their comfort zone. I wondered if maybe there might be a topic there. I would love to hear your thoughts on the wallflowers and that special kind of magic, because I do personally think it takes immense love and patience and passion to be a wallflower. They say everything can be taught, but some people are born with the ability to walk into a room and not have anybody notice they were even there until a child starts crying and needs comfort, and then the child goes up to someone you didn't even see standing there. I suppose that last bit almost makes it sound creepy, but it's not. Sometimes it feels like I spend a good deal of time just waiting quietly until I'm useful. Today the thought has a sort of melancholy feel, but normally I don't mind it really. Working quietly, tending fires that others forget about is in my blood. I was born a true North Capricorn, down to the last molecule of my being. I've got godchildren by the dozens, and I take great pride in the trust that is put in me to be a safe space for people's most precious treasures. Doubly so as a teacher. But every once in a while, I wish someone could see me. I don't know if there's something there that is useful. In magic, we often talk about fire and water and even air. But Earth is the steady ground beneath our feet, and I would love to hear what you think about it, especially as we move towards winter. All my love, Nora. Now, I got this back on November 10th, and I thought about it. And I thought about whether I could talk about it on a podcast. And it just needed some time to incubate. The first thing that came to my mind, the very first thing, is what the word wallflower usually represents. I mean, it came to represent people. But that's not how it started. One of my favorite movies on the planet is Fried Green Tomatoes. And there's the scene where it appears that Iggy has gone and died. And the sweet woman who's been taking care of her, coming to visit her, being like family to her, is torn apart, upset at the caretaker who's standing there ripping down all of these wallflowers. Roses, mostly, if I remember correctly. Our old Iggy had put them all over the walls to bring back the garden and bring back the sun and bring back beauty and happiness for both her and her friend, who did, in fact, die. And that's sort of the way I look at wallflowers just to start. They make our world so beautiful to the point where we don't even realize that they're there. Being taken for granted I understand how that hurts, and I think those of us who are lucky enough to have a wallflower in our life, I think we need to spend a little bit more time thanking them. Of course, like you say, it doesn't have to be much. There's love languages for all kinds of folks, and introverts don't like to be thrown out there in the spotlight very well. They like a private thank you, something meaningful, often even a bit small. It's really more about the sentimentality and to know that they are loved too. But you want to know what kind of magic that is to have someone that sturdy under your feet or for someone to be such a beautiful background that you just think your life is gorgeous all the time or at least can be. If you're doing your job, you do disappear into that wall, don't you, honey? Of course, you're the most beautiful flower on the wall. Let me tell you a story about my partner that's probably going to piss him off a little bit. Like you say, we don't want to be thrown out there into the spotlight too much, but I don't wholly believe in outright coincidence. i tell you how I'm positive if something isn't a coincidence, and that is if it happens more than one time during a week. Now I don't mean the silly little things in our lives. They happen all the damn time. I'm talking about something that seemed like it wanted to get your attention and then another thing just like it happens too. To me, that is not coincidence. Well, I've already said what I think it is. Something's trying to get your attention. Right after I got this email from Anora, I fell into one of my blue slumps. When it's cold and rainy and gray outside, I go down. I go down so quickly, horribly seasonal. We're being blessed today with a really sunny day and I think it's getting up to 60. So that is absolutely fabulous for me, nourishing my soul, keeping me alive. But within this same week that I got this email, I was thinking back to a time that I got so depressed So down in that blue land, I call it, that I couldn't see anything beautiful anymore. My husband is a bit of a wallflower himself, but we'll get to that. I don't reckon I'd come out of the bed for a couple of days, or at least not to do more than I had to. I think it's a misconception that witches have that they don't also get blue. And have a hard time, even if they're teachers and leaders Pulling their own self out of it. No, no. That's why we need wallflowers. Anyway, I'd gotten a little bit too far down. I just uh, lost a late-life baby that I did not expect. I was going through a lot of ass hattery. And I woke up to go get my coffee out of the kitchen. I think it was sometime in February, which tends to be the roughest time for me. I've been too busy with holidays and things that I don't have as much time to sit around and think about how the world is ending because there's no sun. And January, it's sort of a recuperative time. I get pretty blue then too, but that's not my bottom out place. You know what I'm saying, y'all? No, no, bat children. February is my horrible slump. It's just right there butt up against spring, wanting to be something wonderful, usually it ain't. It's that last mile you've got to crawl when you're broken and beaten. And it was a rather horrifying day outside. Went in to get that coffee and just stood there. My husband had printed off every picture I'd ever taken of the garden. I mean, there were cucumbers and there were flowers everywhere. They were covering every single possible space. They were on the oven. They were on the cabinetry. And there was this sunshine cutout he had made. And it was hanging in the center of the room from the ceiling but I ended up sitting down and squalling a bit in the middle of that floor. Not because it made me sad. (sighs) This is really hard to talk about. No crying, I've got on mascara. We can do this. There's no crying in baseball, podcasting. I reckon it was because someone had loved me enough to see the pain I was in and had quietly covered my walls with flowers. Had not even stayed around to see my face or ask for any kind of thanks. The amount of work it took, I'm sure, was enormous. And I had gotten a little bit too blue. I think I have to be careful what I'm saying here, but let's just say that if you look into the abyss too long, we know it looks back at us. I'm absolutely certain that that moment That immersion into nothing but wallflowers that morning saved my life. So to answer you, Anora, you save our lives. That's what you do, honey. I reckon I could be considered an extrovert because I'm always putting myself out there and doing leadership activities. I'm an Aries, after all. I'm the oldest child. I've survived a lot. I don't know how to be completely in the background. It just doesn't work out for me, even when I attempt to. I imagine there's a little bit of peace there where y'all are. But what y'all do for people like me is you give us these beautiful (laughs) rooms to live in. And our head, this sturdy, comforting, bright place You remind us that we are, in fact, loved and beautiful, but you don't do it in a narcissistic way that's for attention or gratuity grabbing. Sure does not mean that you don't deserve it, though, honey. A long time ago, I was trying to explain to someone when my husband and I notoriously had a year of trouble why I was waiting on him, and why I wasn't going to let go, and I could not get it across to this person. Y'all, I'm so sorry about that rooster. He just does what he do. My baby had gone and acted an ass, and he was being hurtful. He had gone through a lot with me, and I don't think he'd had any support. While I was losing my job and my family was disowning me, And losing my daughter, my career, so much, and a baby, there was no other place for him to turn for solace or comfort. I'm not making excuses for him, but there's only so much a man or woman can handle. So I figured I'd wait. It's not that it didn't hurt me. It's not that that was not the worst time of my entire life. It's just that. As I tried to tell my friends, I can't be who I am without him. The walls of my life no longer had flowers. The earth under my feet was no longer warm or sturdy. I couldn't write a blog. I couldn't teach anyone anything important. I was no longer worth anything. Not one damn shit as a leader. I was only able to do all of that when he was my background. Now, it sounds really selfish, but the truth is I've tried to drag him out of that background before and he do not want anything to do with it. I reckon the only thing he really wants is for the people he loves to love him back. That's it. Last night it was cold and dark and he's just been working himself sick around this place. Recently, he's been trying to build a beautiful, and I mean beautiful, doghouse for our dwarf Australian shepherds. They watch the chickens, and the chickens watch them too. And these girls had one that he'd built, but it wasn't up to code and had started to fall apart. He wanted to build them something better. He had learned way more craftsmanship. It's got a beautiful tin roof on a slant. It's got a front porch that they can sit on. It's got a bedroom that they can get into with windows that look like they're from a a boat. And a little sidecar where they can also kind of hang out. Everything is square, he keeps telling me. keeps walking in and saying, look, everything is square and level. But that was really all he could do over the weekend. And we're horribly behind and we are struggling with money. So there's a lot to be done that we just sometimes, well, no, personally, I feel overwhelmed about. Maybe a little bit too hard on him about. Don't worry, that ain't going to change. I cannot help myself. Type A. Well, like I was saying, it was cold and dark and I was going into the deep blue. Worried about money. Worried about getting the house fixed up. Worried about this podcast getting done. And I realized that I could not do a damn thing about making myself feel better at that juncture. I know me well enough. All I really had I could do was go to bed. But I also know how tired he is. How exhausted he is. Working every spare minute of his weekend, trying to clean up and fix things and building me things and basically painting all my damn walls with flowers at the same time. And so I stood up, and depression will get a hold of you. You got to fight it sometimes to walk. And I walked right through that murk and all that junk that was making me choked and went right into my pantry, and I found chocolate chips, and I got me some baking soda, and if you know where I'm going... You know, he was a very happy camper when he got home. Why, I even made him go ahead and eat one of those chocolate chip cookies before we had dinner. Just so he could know that I loved him. See, I could not cheer myself up. I knew that. But I could do something for my wallflower, couldn't I? You know, Honora, I would love to talk about what I think the magic is about being a wallflower. The problem is I'm not one. So the only place I can talk from, honey, is from a forthright, extroverted, pain in the ass Aries loudmouth who literally could not be magic or succeed at anything or even feel the sun on her face if it wasn't for her wallflower. I can talk from that position for you. What I'd really love to hear back from you though, honey, It's what you think the magic is in it for you. So, y'all, that was the first email that I wanted to read about. I think it was a damn fine one. Don't know about y'all, but really got me. And then we have other ones, and I don't know that I'm ready to answer them all. Um, There are three more. We'll see what we get to. From Liz. Hi, Seba. I really appreciate your podcast, I feel like you just get right into the meat and potatoes of life as a modern witch. One of the challenges I face is living in the city. I'm guessing you live in a rural area. Any thoughts for city witches? And here we go again. Out of my wheelhouse, honey. Liz, I have no damn idea. <laughs> um, I've only lived in a city, well, when I was a teenager, I lived in several cities. Um, I was kicked out of my house. I also ran away a couple of times from multiple places like foster homes and such. I've lived in Philadelphia. I've lived in New York City. I've lived in Trenton and Passaic, New Jersey. I cannot lie. I don't prefer it. I reckon that you do, though. And I think the number one thing which ought to be is her or himself. So, thoughts. Please forgive me on the first one. Run. Get the hell out of there. If there's any way you can. Alright, we've gotten that one out of the way. Hope you aren't too pissed off. Um, the second one. Connection to nature is absolutely critical. You live in a city, it's going to be a little bit harder now, isn't it? I think that one of the best things you could do is try to find a park or some such that you can go to. Also, look around and see if there's any kind of community effort for growing food. I've heard of these things, and I'm always so proud of these people. People growing all kinds of stuff on rooftops or tiny spaces out back of a building and sharing all the food. And here's a crazy idea. Why don't you try to start one? I guess the way I would start is just getting together with any city witches or just like-minded folks. You know what I'm saying? People who just want to grow their food. And seeing if y'all could do a committee or some such and then look into city grants and try to get together on a small plot, it does not take much. Well, I reckon if all you had was something the size of your bathroom... You could still grow something there, honey. And I think that's what I would do. Also, I would look into hay bale gardening. It's something I've done quite a bit. I did not do it this past year. I do plan on doing it next year. And it's wonderful. I could put up something about it on my website on how to do that. But if you've got enough space for a couple of hay bales, you don't even need dirt. Now, I've been able to grow anything out of these hay bales, but let's be honest, some of it does give me a little mite of trouble. Eggplant gave me trouble. Tomatoes gave me a little bit of fuss. But the thing that was the most amazing out of these hay bales that I've ever grown was butternut squash. It just went nuts. Of course, it went all the way across the yard, and if you have limited space... You might want a trellis behind it, and you can go up and down it in a bit of a teepee shape. Straight up, if you don't have land, go up, and it can just crawl over that. I got 120 butternut squash out of four plants coming out of a hay bale. And underneath that hay bale, I had a bit of tarp so that the bugs and the critters couldn't get to it. It works for short term, and then it's compostable, so... I guess the reason I'm focusing so much on this is a witch living in the city needs to get back to her roots somehow. Growing some herbs in her window or being part of a community effort that cares about nature or trees. That would be my number one recommendation. Bring out the beauty in where you are. Especially if you're attached to it. Well, then we have another question from Anonymous, which I'm going to be respectful about. And this one says, Seba, can you talk a little bit about shadow work? I don't think everyone has or should have the same idea of what it is. That said, is there some unifying theme? And the answer to that is, of course, yes and no. Whenever I talk about shadow work, especially to someone who's not familiar with it, I talk about it in terms of Peter Pan. You know, where he's dancing around and trying to catch his shadow. and it takes a long time for little Peter Pan to figure out that. The best way for him to be able to do that is to dance with the shadow, become one with the shadow. Shadow work for me is a lot like that. If I've got some kind of underlying problem or quirk in my character or something that's bothering me, I got to dig down deep to find out what it is. Now, modern day people tend to run right to therapy and I have had a wonderful therapist in the past who understood who I was and did the research for it and was able to help me during a very dark time. So I do not disparage any kind of therapy. In fact, if you haven't at least tried it once in your life and you can figure out a way to afford it, I highly recommend it. But to me, shadow work is not the same as therapy. I don't think it can be. I disagree with some of my colleagues, in fact, about its deployment. Let me explain myself. And I know my friend will get very angry with me, but... Well... Not angry. We'll just have one of our little arguments. I don't believe that a witch teacher should dick around in their students' heads. I find it horribly invasive, and I find it horribly dangerous. They're not trained to do so. And don't tell me they're trained by their mother or father witch. No, they're not. Even licensed professionals can fuck this kind of shit up, y'all, and we have to be really careful. Let's say that you've got a really good friend who's worked on a whole lot of cars in his backyard, so he's got a layman's understanding on working on a car. Now, he doesn't understand all cars. He doesn't even know all of the history of all those cars. He just knows how to do some basic stuff and hasn't tended to mess it up too bad. All right. Now, you've got a car. Let's say it's a very important car to you. Your first car, maybe it was inherited. So now that car is really important. This particular car is not exactly like any of the cars that your friend has ever worked on ever. Do you think it's a good idea to let that friend Dick with that car. See, what I would probably do is I would try to do it myself because I know how much I love it if I knew a little something too. Or I would go ahead and take it to a specialist, a person that I'm positive knows how to work on such a thing, and then I'd threaten that mechanic within an inch of his life if he messed it up. That may not be a very clean analogy, but it just chaps my ass to see any kind of teacher, think that they're some kind of insta-psychologist and know how to rewire people's brains. It speaks to something really invasive, really egotistical, really dangerous. It doesn't always lead to being able to do it for yourself, either. Don't does it. Shadow work to me is the deep and abiding care for your past and your pain, and your happiness, your personality, things that are sort of hidden under the surface. These things can be brought to a therapist, and that would be actually a wonderful way to work with one. Or if you're able to do it yourself, and you feel like they're fairly safe trips through your psyche, then you can do them. What I mean by that is... For my own shadow work, which is very private, I work through something new every year. I've got all kinds of issues. I'm sure we all do. But shadow work to me is the idea of almost parenting yourself. Imagine you have a child. So if that child is going through something, what might you suggest to that child? I believe we all have little children inside of ourselves, the essential you that has always been there. And so sometimes I have to talk to myself about being an asshole, or why I react in certain ways. And I study on them. I think about them. I do the work for myself as deeply as I can. There is no unifying theme to me. A shadow is simply the deeper you the lower self, the you that is hard to talk to in the day, the you that reacts too quickly. My God, to me, a shadow is almost everything that is the essential you that other people don't see. And if we're not in touch with that, we're not whole. We're not dancing with ourselves. So I just can't really answer the question. I guess at its most basic nature... Shadow work really does mean that we stop pretending something isn't true about ourselves. And from there, we try to decide, do we want to keep it? Do we want to work on it? But we stop denying that part of ourselves. I'm sorry I don't have more to say about that. It's just so private and so intense. But y'all know how I feel about dogma. There is one more question I received recently. And it has to do with getting up the bravery and the wherewithal to get rid of toxic friends. Now, this person didn't want me to give the exact details out because I reckon if I did, some soul out there might recognize themselves. So I am going to protect the innocent here and possibly even the guilty. And even though this one might have a simple answer, It is a very difficult road. I've had a student before that I helped quite a bit. They came to me. They kind of pestered me. I finally caved and gave this student honestly everything I had. I let this person live with me. And that's going to be really hard to ascertain who I'm talking about because I've allowed two of my students to live with me when they didn't have any place to go. But this one in particular, I also let stay in my son's trailer. I also got them a place to stay with a dear friend of mine for a while as well, all over the course of about three, four years. I won't go into the ins and outs of how this thing went poison, but I will say that when I lost everything, this person was not there for me. And that's one of your number one clues. I don't believe in keeping checks and balances because that's just not the way life is. Sometimes some soul out there might need you a little bit more than you need them. But if you've supported somebody and taught them things and been there for them and given them safe harbor, and then you need something, and their answer is no, Or in this particular case with this example, I sacrificed my time to come over here and learn from you. Then you have a dud. You have someone who was looking for somebody to take care of them until they found someone better or someone who didn't ever ask anything back from them. You need to be very careful of vampires. Not too long ago, I put up on my Facebook a, a thing, one of those statuses that had to do with not being afraid to completely start over. It took me a very long time to realize how many duds I had in my life, how many people had been bleeding me out. And for this listener, I would like to say that there is a misconception that when you want someone to peacefully leave your life because it is not worked out and it doesn't look like it's going to, you can still love this human being. We've talked about that, oh, I don't know, 12, 13, 14 episodes ago in the Boundaries Post. If y'all haven't listened to that, you might want to go look. But in this particular case, from this particular listener, I would say... Empathetic people who want to help can end up having multiple parasites on them. And you can get so familiar with something like this that it almost feels like love. Familiarity is a very difficult thing to disengage from when you're trying to see if someone is good for you or is toxic for you. You can ask yourself questions, though. You can say, does this person accept my life partner? Because honestly, honey, if they don't, what are you doing? I had multiple people in my life who did not accept my life partner. It wasn't just that they didn't like him, because they did not. It also was that they just didn't have any use for him, period, and did not respect my choice. That's not a good, healthy place to be. I'm sorry, they have to go. Or the life partner does. It's not a good match. Think about all the people out there that will accept her life partner. I mean, if they truly are your friend, they would not try to interfere with the love of your life. Now, would they? And of course, we've already gone over the other one. Are they ever there for you? Now look around, see what their love language is. Sometimes people come and do work for you to show love. Sometimes they just listen on a telephone. Sometimes, in one of my cases, I have a dear friend I've had now. Oh, my God. Since I came out as Seba on Facebook, so that's about eight years, I guess. I'd have to double-check with her. May have been a year or two shy of that. But she lives in Florida. We've become online friends, and I'm on her snail mail list. I get cards, and I get them at the most wonderful times when I need to see them, and that is her love language. I'm way more direct. I do not like sending cards. I do not like sending letters. Not very tactile like that, although boy, don't I love opening hers. When I see her going down or I see that she needs something, my love language is to call her. (laughs) I think it shocks her every time. I don't think she uh, enjoys that very much, but at least she knows I love her. But this particular question from a listener made me think about gaslighting. And the reason is because I don't think anybody has ever been as gaslit as me. I must have some kind of sign on my head that says, Gaslight me, please. If you don't know what gaslighting is, you need to go look it up. And it's easy to do. There are plenty of articles out there about this in the therapy world. But narcissists like to do it the most. And if you collect narcissists the way I collect narcissists, you've got a pool that you can look through. Well, not for me anymore. I reckon we're down to none. But the thing that really chaps my ass the most is gaslighting a witch. Now, I know you know what I'm talking about. If you consider yourself even magical in the smallest sense, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You don't have to be a witch to feel this, honey. It's when someone tells you that, no, no, you never told them that. Or, what are you talking about? You totally said that. And everything in your being is screaming, no, I didn't. It doesn't even sound like me. I had a particular narcissistic student who was also passive-aggressive, and that's called covert narcissism. And she was able to convince me of so many things. Her favorite thing to say was, You were depressed at the time. Or it was when you were going through that hard thing. So you just don't remember. But yeah, this is real. And then I would go look through text and emails and my memory and my brain and ask other people. It wasn't real. This particular person also enjoyed triangulation where she would pretend that she was the closest thing to me since my grandma's quilt. And then go out into the community and talk nasty about me. And then I would say, why does such and such not want to talk to me anymore? Why do they hate me so? I've never done anything to them. And she would say, I don't know. I can't figure it out either. And then we'd find out she'd been over to the house that night or texted them from our house and given misinformation to keep everybody all up in a drama. It was the way she got attention, and it was insidious. I will give it to her. She was good at what she did. But let's get back to this idea of gaslighting a witch. To me, it is a double whammy. Gaslighting anyone is just, I'm sorry, evil. If you can't deal with your feelings directly and tell them how you are feeling in a moment, but would rather manipulate someone to feel a different way, then I don't think y'all deserve friends if y'all are doing that. But when it's a witch, you are attempting and sometimes may even be successful at planting the idea into that person's head that they aren't even magical anymore, that they can't see or feel. Let's talk about that. Have you ever walked into a room and everyone kind of got a little quiet and shifted their eyes around and you could feel their energy pull back in or even out an aggression, but no one has the balls to come up and tell you what it is? You might go home from an event like that and think, feels like they were talking about me. Now, if there was someone that you consider close to you at that event and you ask them and they say, No, you're crazy. It's not real. You might have just been gaslit, honey. See, the purpose of gaslighting is to make you doubt yourself, doubt your intuition, and for a witch, doubt everything. I mean, her spotty senses are gone, right? That's the only other alternative. Or she's crazy which is the whole point of a gaslighter, to make people feel crazy so they can control them. I no longer buy things like that wholesale. If every ounce of my being just stood up on point, if everything in me is screaming, you're being lied to, I confront the situation. And if that person will not admit that they are lying to me and Of course, gaslighting me in that moment, trying to make me feel like I'm just crazy. They're gone. They're out. I know, I might accidentally throw a baby out with the bathwater on this one, but at what point do I trust myself? Ask yourself if there's someone in your life, dear reader, who continually says to you that all of your instincts are wrong. That all of your gut feelings are absolutely nutballs. Doesn't even think it out with you. And for some crazy reason, their friends don't like you and don't want anything to do with you. You could do the alternative. You could go around and do an inspection and a bit of an investigation and try to get to the bottom of it. But at the end of the day... What does your gut tell you about this person that is so close to you? I have a friend who always plays devil's advocate. This is way different than gaslighting. This is something where I say I've got this feeling about this person or this event or this moment. And he says to me, okay, let's look at it. Let's think about all the things it can be. Now, I'm down with that because I need to figure out, am I being sensitive? Have I had a hard day? Is this something that kind of reminds me of my own fractured past, and so I'm overanalyzing, or is there real meat to it? That's a really good thing to have in a friend. Of course, I also have this wonderful assurance. He doesn't lie. Now, I don't know for sure if that is a function of his Asperger's, his uh, high-on-the-spectrum reactions to things, but I will say that it works in this friendship. And so to play devil's advocate with you, reader, lease friends that you think may not be actual friends. Try something crazy. Try something an Aries would do. Hi, how you doing? Go right to him. Say, I would like to talk to you. And I would like for you to tell me the truth, no matter if it hurts me or not. And then ask the questions you need to ask. If it turns out this person has lied to you, it might be pertinent in that situation for you to give that person another shot. As long as they know that was, that was it. Tell them you won't be gaslit anymore. And from now on, when you smell it or hear it or feel it, you're going to come to them and you're going to work it out. Now, that's just an option. This old witch is so past that. I'm tired, y'all. I've gone through so much. I don't deal with it anymore. The only friends I have left are the ones I can count on and the ones I know are ride or die, and that is it. But when you're younger, it's kind of hard to do that. And if you grew up in a dysfunctional family, and most of them are a little dysfunctional, I'm talking narcissists and people who did gaslight you as a little girl or a little boy, it's going to be ever so much more difficult. Find you a non-lying, truth-telling, ride-or-die friend. It'll make it so much easier to cull all the rotten chickens in that flock. I know I did, and the peace that my house has, the peace that my magical self has, is absolutely off the charts. Of course, it pisses people off for you to cut them out of your life. Make sure to ward up really good and duck, because they're going to throw things. They enjoy messing with your head. But if you're being a good steward of yourself and your soul, Do you think it's a good idea to allow people to do that to you? Because I don't. And again, I'm a purist about things. My best friend with Asperger's, I don't like it when people bully him. I think that community's gotten a little comfortable with bullying him. Oh, they would stand up about any other bully situation, but not this one. They don't take the time to understand autism or being on the spectrum. And they don't tend to listen. And I've seen some bullying situations that would make your toenails curl back. And I will stand up for him. And that's the other thing. If you want a really good friend, you're going to have to be a really good friend. You're going to have to actually tell him, yeah, your ass does look fat in that, honey. Or you got a little snot right here. Or there's something in your teeth. Or what you just said to those people, it wasn't very cool. Can you think about that? Of course, don't forget to give them a little sugar every now and again, too. But once you have your boundaries set and you love yourself, and if you have a partner, you set them around that partner. And if you have kids, you set them around that kid. And if you have animals and land, you set them around that, too. Once you do that, there's not a lot of asshattery that can go on anymore. Now, I'm a bit of a softy. I'm an Aries, so I have a hot flash flame. And then, with just the right apology, I tend to get a little weak. Hasn't worked out in the past, though. A long, long time ago, very far away, I had a 14, 15-year-old daughter and a best friend. And I mean, she was amazing. She was there for all my surgeries. We did everything together. I trusted her implicitly. And my daughter went missing for several weeks. And she was underage. I had her picture put onto those milk cartons. We handed out missing posters at our local football games. And it's a big state school, so... I couldn't sleep at night. I kept on thinking something had happened to her, something horrible. My heart was literally broken. I couldn't breathe. My sons were just tore to pieces. And every night I would call her and I would cry on her shoulder, which I feel like is acceptable. She was my best friend. And she would comfort me and say that maybe one day my little girl would come back home and that she was probably okay. This rocked on for weeks. And then... One day I was standing outside of my backyard talking to her on the phone and saying, I think I'm just going to go driving up and down streets and do the best I can that way to try to find her. And all of a sudden, my friend said, all right, I think I need to tell you something. It turned out that my best friend had known where my daughter was the entire damn time. That's right. The entire time. But her best friend, a sweet gay man, who I was friends with too at the time, was the next door neighbor in a duplex situation of where my daughter was living. She was living with a full grown Russian guy. She was afraid to tell me because she didn't want her friend to get in any kind of trouble and I don't mean legal trouble, I mean possible harsh words with this next-door neighbor. It was the biggest load of bunk and bullshit I have ever heard in my entire life. She could have done a tip to the police, she could have done all kinds of things, but what she should not have done is let me squall my eyes out and feel like I was done for weeks on end. She told me she was sorry. I went and got my kid. But I was just unable to ever see our friendship the same way. I tried. I even invited her to my wedding over a decade later. And we're still friends on Facebook today. It just never left my heart how she could do that to me. It's amazing, isn't it? What we allow to happen to ourselves that, say, if we had a child, we would never stand for it. We would stand up and say, I don't like the way your friend is treating you. Or even a partner, we would say that about their friend. I don't like the way they're treating you. You know, my husband told me a long time ago, back in 2008, he was a bouncer at a local club where I had started to hang out, in fact, had met him at, well, it wasn't a club, it was a seedy little awesome dirty little bar that my daughter had drugged me to when I finally was ready to date again (laughs) and my kind of people tattooed up and thoughtful and open-minded well I was obviously gonna keep going there and everybody just seemed to be so lovely around me And my husband would tell me I would go home because I, of course, you know, would not stay there until the bar closed. I went on home. And he had to continue bouncing until 2 in the morning, then clean things up to around 3 or 4. And he would say, the difference is night and day, honey. You walk out of there and they become who they really are. Things they would never say around you. Act ways they would never act around you. It's like they were performing for me. Eventually, that kind of thing does get found out. So I reckon, listener, I would say, if you can't find a good friend anywhere on the planet, because I will agree with you, people can be shit. I would keep my mind open, and I keep looking for that person. Someone who is open and honest Maybe flawed deeply, but that's okay. It depends how do they treat you. But until you find that person, I would cull that flock. I would kick them all to the curb. And I would make myself my best friend. Enjoy your time with you. Because if you get to the place where you truly love yourself, deeply love yourself, You won't let anyone treat you like that anymore, will you? I had to go through the darkest time of my entire life to figure that lesson out, and I was 50 years old. I hope that you don't go that far. A lot of time has been lost for me, although I reckon there was a reason. I had to tell you this story today, didn't I? But loving yourself is hard, isn't it, y'all? I have big feet. I have big old floppy paddly feet and long monkey toes. When I was a little girl, I used to hide them. I used to curl my toes up underneath my foot so nobody could see them. Now I've got this little thing I do sometimes when I've had a little bit too much wine. I do jazz toes where I spread them out and I go jazz. And everybody laughs because... I love my feet now. (laughs) I especially love how big they are now that I'm getting a little older and my balance isn't so good anymore. And they keep me from falling on my damn ass. But I love all kinds of things about myself. When I sneeze, I get so angry I could punch a politician in the nose. I cannot even explain the rage that comes out of me. I'm feeling it right now just thinking on it when I sneeze. It feels like a loss of control and, whew, I hate that shit. I have a son who feels that way about hiccups. He'll end up putting his hand through a wall if he can't make him stop. And while it's a little irritating when I get like that, I like that about me. I like that I'm quirky and strange. I like that I get melancholy when the sun starts to get old and comes through the windows and it looks like Sundays. I can't explain it. I like that my favorite flavor in the entire world is lemon and barbecue. I like that I have a checkered past. I like all of that. How the hell am I supposed to help anybody if I didn't live on the streets when I was a un? I like that I'm forgiving. You know what I like more than that? That I've learned how to be forgiven without letting anybody hurt me again. And it actually works. I finally found that ratio We're told so much not to love ourselves. I don't think we notice that that's what we're hearing, though. I've heard since I was a little girl that pride is a sin. We should not be proud of ourselves. Well, that is a difficult way to go, honey. Especially if your parents weren't ever proud of you. I parent myself these days. And when I do something wonderful, I'm proud of it. I don't like gloaters. I don't like braggarts. Self-aggrandizing makes me want to throw up. And I've gotten rid of all the friends that do it. Because there's something about that, which I haven't quite figured out yet, that has to do with all the other bad qualities. I'll, I'll try to figure that one out. But a little bit of pride in what you do. Like if you make a beautiful pie, you write a good book. Or, I don't know, you got your ass up and cleaned the house when you were depressed. A little bit of pride. It's like medicine for the soul. And just like any doggy I know, we need to be told that we're good when we're actually being good. And if you don't have any friends who are doing that for you, if all you're getting is competition, which is the disease of a friendship, then you need to do it for yourself, honey. Spend more time with yourself. Eventually, the right friend will come along. And it's okay to let go of friends. Go listen to that podcast again about boundaries. You can still love them. You can even still have all those gorgeous memories. Just don't let them make bad memories for you. Put your foot down. Draw a boundary. That's enough. A good friend doesn't take your woman. Doesn't take your man. Accepts whatever identity you have decided is Tenable to your soul. A good friend does not compete with you, not unless it's in jocularity. A good friend might mimic a few things you do because they find them to be wonderful, so they want to do them too. But they won't mimic you and not give you credit. A good friend does not keep too many tallies. Somewhere along the line, it'll balance out anyway. But more than anything in this entire world, a good friend will not talk badly about you behind your back. This is critical, y'all. I like to talk really well about the people I love behind their back. You know what I'm hoping? I'm hoping it gets back to them. This happened to me only one time in my entire life. I was walking down a long hallway on the ninth floor of the English department. I was teaching. There were two elevators at opposite sides of the floor, and you had to walk down this long hallway, and everything echoed, and you could hear what they were saying, but not see them standing by the elevator before you got there. And there was a very powerful professor, let's call her P.B., And I was one of the very few she liked in the entire world. Everybody else hated her guts. And I guess for good reason, because she could be a bitch. Damn. And I got almost to the end of that row there before they could see me, and I heard PB talking good about me. I don't really remember what she was saying now, because that wasn't the important thing. I'm sure it was something about my work or some such. What mattered to me is that my back was fairly turned and they did not know I was there. And someone was saying positive things, which I think was not the norm. And it mattered to my soul. So don't forget that. That is really the biggest test of a friendship even past to me. Whether or not they're there for you all the damn time. Nobody can carry your load for you. But what do they say behind your back? I have lots of people who assume that we're friends that I used to assume I was friends with as well. And we're going to continue to hold that and pretend real nice. I don't have to see them very often. There is no need to make an enemy. But you know, we all find out when people talk about us. One of the worst things in the world for me is if someone is just lukewarm behind your back, but crazy about you to your face. You ever hear somebody talking good about you behind your back? Make best friends with that human being. That's a soulmate. Nobility is a very difficult quality to find these days in people. I highly suggest looking for it. People that are noble will always be true to themselves. They'll admit when they're wrong. They won't be gossip mongers. And they'll take care of their own as well as they can. They're not necessarily humble. They're just the most real people in the room. Look for them. They're usually the misfits and the outsiders. One last thing. It just suddenly occurred to me to say to y'all, I think the worst gaslighting in the entire world that can happen is that that you do unto yourself. Don't do that. If you have a gut feeling, I mean a deep down one that just won't go away, don't gaslight yourself. Listen to it. We have gotten so far away from that. That is that primal magic that was there to keep us protected, help us survive, and even make us happy. My dad was a cop And he was working on being something even bigger. I'll leave that out. One of the things he went to, one of those seminars when they're trying to go up a little higher in police work, had to do with trusting your instincts. I can't remember all of the numbers or the percentages, but there was a rather high percentage of people that were about to be attacked or raped that before it happened... Their hair rose up on their neck, they got chill bumps on their arms, and they felt that fight or flight, but they told themselves that they were being silly, and they didn't want to make a scene. Now think about that. Do you think a cougar in the wild would second guess that instinct? Do you think a wolf would? I don't, and there's a reason for it and us not listening to that gut, that deep-down gut thing, then we're rejecting the most natural, beautiful, original, ontological magic in our body. If our body was made for anything other than pleasure and pain, it was to make sure that our soul knew what was coming. Don't gaslight yourself. That's blasphemy. So I hope I did some good for you, reader. Um, I reckon that's about enough for today. I wanted to tell y'all that our numbers are going up. They're going slow still, but they're going up. We're getting really close to that number I wanted to see. And I've got a surprise coming. I've decided against videos. But I've decided for something really different. And I'm going to get a Patreon account going, probably by New Year's. And it's going to have a very special flavor that won't be released anywhere else. I'm not ready to tell y'all about it. I'm still busy doing all kinds of things. From making sure my husband can illustrate it, possibly one of my students, to finishing up the stories for it. So, wish me luck on that one. It's a three-point shot, but I always was good at that kind of thing. And I'm not dead yet, so we'll see if that turns out. Y'all don't forget to be nice to your wallflowers. Don't forget to think about that shadow because you want to dance with it. And for crying out loud, be your own best friend. Love y'all. Y'all have been listening to the Southern Fried Witch Podcast. Come back around next week for a little bit more magic from the Deep South.